This is a Discovery Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we invite you to find yourself in the bigger story. To find out more about what's going on in the life of the church, head to discoverychurch.com.au. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you again today. Now, this experience happens to me often. I don't know whether it's happening to you or if it's happened to you in the past, but I might be doing something normal, right? Like eating lunch or driving my car or talking to a friend or a family member or going about my work. And all of a sudden, as if it's out of nowhere, I have this sense around my life and in my life that things are about to get really bad. Like, I just have this sense like something bad is about to happen. Something um, tragic is about to happen. I might be doing anything at all. Not, I'm not even watching a you know, scary film or anything like that. Just something happens. And this is this, this uh, phenomenon that they call a sense of impending doom. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Like I've experienced, I, I experience this more than I would like to admit, more often than, um, than I think, I don't know if it, what's normal, but this kind of happens to me where I'll just think, oh my gosh, something bad is about to happen, or this sense that almost paranoia, like the world is against me, or something like that is about to happen. Now, of course, I'm not an expert, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counselor, um, and so I don't know um, a lot of the details about what happens here, but I believe there are physiological reasons why this can happen, and there are also psychological reasons why this can happen. Physiologically, they say that sometimes if you've been stung by a jellyfish or you've had some form of anaphylaxis, anaphylaxis um, shock or sometimes heart conditions, and even right down to if you've eaten too much nutmeg, right? You can have this sense of impending doom. So just a warning out there to all you nutmeg lovers, just ease up, back off, guys, relax. This is what can happen to you in these kinds of times, but also psychologically. There are things that can happen to create this sense of impending doom. It can be stress brings it on. It can be a sense of depression or anxiety that brings it on. Sometimes um, your adrenal gland gets fatigued. And if you've, if you've been in like lots of adrenaline rush kind of situations, you can get adrenal fatigue syndrome and that can cause this sense of impending doom, this feeling in your bones, this sense of foreboding, oh my gosh, something bad is about to happen. And of course, it's very rare that something does, that something bad actually happens after you have that feeling. But it's a strange thing that we feel. And I think my hunch is that even now, the uncertainty of the season that we're in, the times that we live in, the kind of polarizing that's happening politically, that's happening ethically, that's happening right around our world, and even in our own country right now, causes this sense sometimes of impending doom. Something bad is about to happen. You feel out of control. Right, We feel out of control, out of our own lives. We don't feel like we've got a handle on things. We don't feel like we've got a grip on things. And there can be this sense that maybe everything is just going downhill. Everything is going bad. And I don't know, sometimes I go to sleep feeling that. I just feel like, oh man, I think this is, this is, everything's going really, really bad. And so what 
do we do about it? Sometimes it can feel like, oh man, I'm the only one, right? On planet Earth that feels like this. The problem is me. But I want to tell you something. I did a little bit of research and found that even the ancients, people thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, dealt with this very same thing. The ancient Greeks wrote about it. They talked about the, 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 uh, the difficulty in getting troops in war together, especially connected to um, on boats, going to far off places to fight in wars. They said that their troops always carried with them this sense of impending doom. For military leaders, it was a very real challenge to get their people into a place where they were in a fighting state rather than in a kind of a doom type state. It's connected to seasickness. They talked about this. They, all of these kinds of things are ways where they were trying to help people deal with this sense of impending doom, this sense that things were going bad. So it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. And the other group that really sense this and really feel this a lot are children. Children oftentimes will feel this sense of impending doom. And oftentimes for kids, and sadly for kids, it's connected to family. It's connected to family. So the ancients experienced it. You and I experience it. And kids can sometimes experience it because of the way that their family situation is or has been or they fear might be going into the future. I don't know what you think about when you think about the word family. Now, of course, we all have a family of origin. Now, and everybody has an experience of that. If some, of, some of you might experience that really, really well and think, man, I, I had a great supporting, loving family, whatever it was. For others of us, we'll be able to tell a story of sadness or of grief or of disconnection. But one thing that we can all agree on is that families are complex, right? They are complex. They are complex environments, a web of relationships where everybody's connected to everybody slightly differently. And so, um, and so sometimes we have, you know, we, they're a tangle of, of hopes and dreams, aren't they? And by God's design, a family should be connected to something bigger than itself. That tangle of relationships and the way that we experience it differently growing up. One thing is true. God has designed families to not be an end in and of themselves. You might have the most beautiful family, right? You might have a great um, nuclear family. You might have a great extended family. You might get together every year that, it, that, you're pos that it's possible to have Christmases together. All the cousins know each other. Everybody's connected and everything looks beautiful. Even in that place... It, it, it's, it is true that God has designed families to be connected to something bigger than themselves. It's, we don't just connect to something bigger out of um, because it's a, it's a reaction to something going bad. We don't just connect to something bigger because we're trying to stave off, um, stave off dysfunction. But actually moving towards functionality means that we all are connected in increasing and ever greater ways. You may have heard that phrase that it takes a village to raise a child. Now, um, people are all mixed on where the origin of that comes from. Most people will say that it's an ancient African proverb. 
where they would say it's a vi- it takes a village to raise a child. What are they saying? doesn't matter how good your family is, your nuclear family is. It doesn't matter how good your mother and father were at raising you. It is insufficient to create the full needs of flourishing, thriving and development for a healthy child. It needs a village. They need mentors. They need peers. They need elders. They need a people right around them, a full support network to raise a healthy and flourishing and thriving child. Some people say that it comes from, uh, it has, that the phrase has Native American roots and that the, uh, that the Native Americans actually continued to foster that raising of a child inside of a tribe or inside of a village in that very same way. One thing though, it doesn't matter where it comes from, one thing is true. You cannot raise a child in isolation. Children are raised and developed and they thrive and they flourish when they're placed inside of a network, a web of connected relationships where there is manifold wisdom, there is destiny, there is multiple voices that are all seeking to do one thing and that is to help and foster the thriving of that child. It doesn't just matter when, it doesn't just happen this way for kids either. Some of you who are older will know that your life still thrives and still continues to flourish even now because you, your life, you might be 70, 80, 90 years old, but because you are placed inside of a village, inside of a tribe, inside of a loving, supportive community, your life continues to thrive and grow as well. So when we think about this and we think about kids and we think about family, it's important for us to look into scripture. So I'd love for us to read today from the book of James. We're going to start here, but then we're going to wind ourselves back into Genesis. Then we're going to make some observations and we'll keep going from there. So this is from from James chapter 1. I'm going to start reading from verse 22 and then verses 26 and 27 are going to come up on the screen for you in just a minute. So James says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and then after looking at himself goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in all they do. And here we come to verse 26. I want you to think about these next couple of verses and how they might apply to you. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless, worthless. But religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray and then we're going to look into this passage. Father, I want to thank you right now at this moment that you are speaking to us. You've spoken to us by your word and you're illuminating the scriptures by your Holy Spirit. I pray you would continue to shape us and change us by your word. Draw us nearer to you in your kindness. Lord God, that our lives might look more like your son. In his name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, so let's think about the time that, that James was writing into. In this ancient world, societies and communities were shaped by concentric circles. I want you to think about, I don't, it doesn't matter if you think about a circle and then outside of that circle, there's another circle, then another circle outside of that, kind of like throwing a pebble into a pond and you see the circles go out. You might be more of an onion person and like to think about it in terms of layers. Um, whatever it is, there is this idea of concentric circles and at the center of the ancient world, at the middle of those concentric circles were the most powerful people. The most powerful people with social standing, the most powerful people with money, the most powerful people with means, the most powerful people with power, who were connected. And they were at the center of those concentric circles. And so in the ancient world, it would operate like this. The people who were at the center would, would um, would associate with other people who were close to them in social standing. And then the further out of those circles you got, the more worthless or meaningless or, um, or far away from power were those people. And now we've talked a lot in the past and at Discovery we've spoken a lot about the place of women in the ancient world and how Jesus did an absolute flip of the script when it came to his approach to empowering and um, empowering and calling women into places of vocational strength and places of purpose. And that's something that at Discovery we believe wholeheartedly. We believe in the calling and the, and the, um, and the destiny of women to be part of a thriving local church and indeed thriving communities and our world. But one of the things that, there were two actual, two groups that were at the furthest outer edges of those concentric circles that you can get. Of course, there were slaves and there were children. Slaves and children were at the farthest reaches of those concentric circles. So if you had powerful men, powerful rich men right in the center and those circles went further out, 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 slightly a little above plants and animals were children and slaves. And so if you think that children were equated to animals in terms of the ancient world, you can then imagine how they were treated. You can imagine how they were treated. Children, um, children and slaves were treated like a commodity. They were able to be disposed of or they would be able to be abused. They would be able to be used in whatever way somebody closer into the center wanted to use them. They had no rights. Not even male um, children did not have any rights. They weren't really seen as a human until they passed three years of age. So you can imagine what that was like for children who were unwanted, for children who were um, inconvenient. They were treated in the same way that somebody would treat another animal or even a plant. And so it meant that the, that the most important people inhabited the center of the circle. And so if, if, we've speak of, if we think about how children were treated in this kind of world, can you see how radical this passage of scripture that we just read actually is? Can you see how different this passage of scripture in terms of a mind shift actually was for the people of the day? 
Because not only do they have a social problem, or that we would see right now as as a huge social problem when it came to children and slaves, but the church that James was writing to had had a different problem simultaneously. Their problem that they had was this. Christianity had now grown and the followers of the way, followers of Jesus, had become um, more numerous than they were at the beginning. But Christianity had now become, I guess, an ethic, a moral ethic rather than a, um, rather than a moral code. If, I, if you get what I'm saying, Christianity became a way of thinking about life, but not necessarily a way about living life out on the edges. Many had reduced faith to a list of ethical or moral ideas, a code or a standard of thought that had no impact on daily life. James speaks clearly when he says that real faith will actually translate into real life. That someone's real faith, if your faith is real, it will make the transition from an idea to actuality. It will make a transition between being an idea and becoming an action. And so in James 1, 26 and 27 here, he speaks about it in the negative and then in the positive. He says, look, if you read the word and you listen to the word and then you go away and don't do what it says, you're like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then turns away and forget what he looks like. It doesn't make sense. For faith to become real, it needs to translate into action and he makes the he says take an example in the negative and then take an example in the positive so if your faith is real somebody will if somebody's faith is real they will take a tight rein on their tongue if they will you will be able to see that their faith is real by the things that they don't say rather than the things that they do isn't that interesting we can see because of, by the absence of someone's negative speech or belittling speech or the way that they speak we can see that their faith is real by the things that they don't say he says take a t- keep a tight rein on your tongue this is the second way that we can see that your faith is real by things that you do do by things that are in the positive side and those things are things like this looking after orphans looking after widows in their distress and making sure that the culture of the world isn't the culture that creeps into your own heart. He's speaking particularly here about the chasing after goods, the chasing after money. He says that's the culture of the world. Don't, he says specifically to stop yourself from being polluted by the world. And that pollution that he's speaking about here is particularly a, a pollution of, of, of greed, a consumption of more and more goods, a consumption of money. You can see who he's speaking to here, right? Those people right at the centre of those concentric circles, right at the centre of the people who were powerful. He says, stop being polluted by that and look after those right on the fringe. So he's talking here about receptivity. Yes, I'm listening to the word, but responsiveness. I'm going to do something about it. Turning words into deeds. And you think, well, why? Why can't my faith just be private? Why can't I just keep it in my own head? Why can't I just keep it in my own heart? Why can't I just, why can't I just think about it and then make those changes on the inside? Well, I'll tell you why, because it's not who Jesus is. The word became flesh, my friends. God himself spoke the word, but then the deed was that Jesus became flesh. He came as action, not just as idea. God himself is a God who turns faith into action by taking his son 
and Jesus becomes flesh, dwells among us, pitches his tent inside of our neighborhood. We can see what he's like. It wasn't just an idea, but it was an action that followed through. Your faith cannot just be an idea. It has to be an action that follows through. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That's exactly what James says. Just reading it back to you out of James 1, 26 and 27. But it begs the question, well, how come it's so different? How, where did James get this from? On what basis does he... Can he stand up to the culture of his day and say this concentric circle idea is, is dumb, guys? It's, 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 it's not going to work. How can he say that? Well, that's because for centuries and generations before him, the Christian idea is that every single person is created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says this, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this was long held in Judeo-Christian um, history and thought as the cornerstone of our faith that every single person is created in the image of God. The concentric circles idea of the ancient world didn't capture this. They said, oh, the people right in the center are made in the image of God and everybody else just gets the scraps. No, Christianity said every single person is created in God's image Every single person, when you look at that person, you're seeing the image of God, male and female. He created them. It is exactly why in the Old Testament, murder was looked down upon as part of, um, a part of the ethic of loving and, and being kind to one another because they thought that to deface another person physically was to deface the image of God. It was as though you were going up to God and slapping God in the face because you're, you're mistreating somebody who's made in his image. This has been such a key part, a key part, a key cornerstone of the church's thought for generations, for generations and generations. And so this is what led the early church to rescue, rescue those kids who've been left out on the rubbish heap to die of exposure. This is what caused the early church to form the first foster care agency and place children inside of families. This was, it was this thought and this idea that convinced the early church that children weren't to be discarded or, discarded or misused or mistreated. And it was, the, it was this idea that forced the early church to think about slavery differently because every single person's made in the image of God. And if we believe in a God who's come to change us, it needs to form our actions, not just our thought. And so it, this is, these are the ideas that made the early church become a force for good in those ancient times. The early church stepping into the breach of a social broken system, of a broken social system because they recognize the image of God in every child. You know, in some places, it's said that, it, that, the, that the church actually invented children. What do they mean by that? Well, it was the church that actually said being a child is something precious and beautiful in and of itself. 
It's something we take for granted today, right? Every single child, at least in Australia, is, 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 is brought up with this sense of innate value and worth in that child. But this is something that we've borrowed, an inheritance that we received from the early church. Because, guys, the ancient world wasn't like this. The church invented childhood and, and bestowed on a child value and worth And the idea that a child should be um, nourished to thrive and it shouldn't just be survival of the fittest or, or pure good luck that you didn't get thrown away or mistreated or misused. Because if God who made heaven and earth chose to reveal himself as a child, not as an emperor, but as a slave, becoming a slave to even death on a cross, Perhaps we should treat children with the same level of dignity and the same level of compassion as Jesus has revealed himself to us. Can you see now why Jesus was such a scandal? I mean, all you have to do is look through the Gospels and you can see why now people were so freaked out when Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Why was that a scandal? Because children weren't valued in the day. When he took a little boy's lunch, a couple of fish and some bread and multiplied it so that 5,000 men plus women and children could eat on a hillside one day. And yet he took it from the fringes of society, not from the powerful, not from the center. This is why Jesus was such a scandal when he was revealed as the king of the world and the savior of the world as a baby. Who would then go on to become um, to, to become, be treated like a criminal and, and die a criminal's death upon a cross. And so what does this mean for us? Well, my friends, it means that let alone providing safe spaces for ourselves to shield ourselves from this sense of impending doom, your call and mine is to create safe places for children to shield them from their sense of impending doom, to create a place of present peace. Can you create a place of present peace in your life for yourself and for others? A place of present peace, a calm inside of the storm for those who are feeling like they're on the fringes of society, on the outside of those who are powerful. A place of present peace, a place where people can feel calm, connected and find their place inside of a bigger story. The side that the story that Jesus is telling on the earth right now, a place of present peace inside a world of impending doom. I believe we can hold on to hope, guys, because the impending doom we feel, it's actually not real. Jesus tells a different story and the Bible tells a different ending and we see the way that the new heaven is coming to meet a new earth. And so hope lives here, my friends. We can see a new day approaching. We can see something different coming down the line and we've got to kind of grab that, grab as a foretaste of what's coming and bring it into the now. Can you bring it into the now for those vulnerable kids that are doing it tough in our society right now? Can you bring it into the now for those who are feeling like they're right on the edge? Can you bring it into the now? Present peace in a world of impending doom. Or will you be sidetracked 
by what's going on in your own world and forgetting the power that you have to be able to provide a different future for those around you. So the question I want to ask you today is this. If, if it takes a village to raise a child, what is your role in the village? What's your role? What's your part that you have to play? You might say, you might feel called right now in this time to think about fostering a child, to providing some out-of-home care for a child who, um, who is full of um, destiny, full of future, full of being able to bring their own gifts and their own skills and their own uniqueness and their own personality to, the, to bear in the world around them. You might be called to provide that safe space, that peaceful presence for a child. You might be called to support somebody who's doing that very important work in their world right now, to support a carer, to support somebody. You might have somebody in your life group, a friend that you have, because remember, we're all connected, and you might have somebody, you might be called to pray, to provide financially, to provide a meal. There might be different ways that you might be called to support somebody caring in that place right now. Or... You might be called to be someone who comes alongside, who builds the church with a sense of imagination for the future. An imagination for something that could be different. An imagination for new ways, new pathways, new destinies, new future, rather than just holding people's pasts against them. You might be called to, because that's fostering and out-of-home care is an act of imagination, of creative imagination, working with the Spirit of God to see things differently. You might be called to that. And so we want to encourage you today in this time. Guys, that faith without action, it's nothing at all. It can't just be an idea. It's got to flow into our behavior, into our works, into what we do. Grace is free. Faith is free. It's a gift of God that's come to us without, without us being able to deserve it. So nobody can boast. But you know what? Just because it's free doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. It means everything. What is God calling you to today? Over these next couple of weeks, we're going to continue in this series and look at some of the other dynamics that happen with church that is a village, our church that is a community, our church that is a wraparound support service, a wraparound um, care, um, care environment, but also, guys, a wraparound force for mission to see destiny in people and send them into the world to fulfill their God-given vocation and their call. And so we're really looking forward to that. But today... I pray that you would receive that present peace that comes only from God in the midst of a world that's only declaring impending doom and that we would see Jesus magnified and glorified and his story continue to be told in our own local neighborhood and in our global world as well. Amen. Thanks for joining us on this Discovery Church podcast. Now go and find yourself in the bigger story.